Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, February 2nd, and today we are glad to have you along for our Week in Review All the week's news in Vermont, plus a little bit of talk about political news in Washington and the world with our Burlington-based political analyst, Joanna Grossman. We'll talk to Washington correspondent Bob Ney at 10 o'clock about all things Washington and international. Uh, Together, we break down all the big stories and try to look ahead to what's coming down the pike. We get right to that. Uh, As I said, Bob Ney at 10 a.m., Uh, He'll give us an update on the Israel-Hamas peace negotiations and what's happening in the coming campaign between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I see that the United States economy uh, created 355,000 jobs. That's twice what uh, analysts were predicting. We'll get into that with uh, Bob as well. And then there's Noah Kahn. Yes, that Noah Kahn. Grammy nominee and Vermonter who has taken the world of of music by storm. Not exactly Taylor Swift, but he is the pride of my former town, Stratford, Vermont. He's up for a Grammy for his album, Stick Season. No, he is not coming on the show, even though I teased it on social media. But we have the next best thing. Music editor Chris Farnsworth from Seven Days will examine Khan's meteoric rise, um, and what he looks forward to uh, at the Grammys this weekend. He looks at Khan's appeal as both a musician and an advocate for mental health and explains why no one in Vermont had ever heard of the guy until he blew up. Well, I had heard about him because I watched him in uh, elementary school and we lived next to his parents. We'll open the phones at 1030 and talk about more news. Uh, Apple has come out with its Vision Pro, and I can't wait to talk to everybody about uh, whether they're going to buy this thing at $3,700 plus. Remember, you can call us and email us. We welcome your calls and emails. The number to call is 244-1777. Send me your emails at btviewpoint at radiovermont.com. And with that, we turn to our Week in Review. And to help us, we welcome back Joanna Grossman, a political analyst from Burlington whose ear is to the ground in ways that mine is not. Joanna, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Okay, here we go. Um, can we start in Burlington, uh, your your hometown? Um, as listeners know, we had Rachel Feldman on the show last week, and I got a, last Wednesday uh, to talk about her trip. She's a central Vermonter. She took a, um, a, a trip to Israel, and she came and reported back to us uh, I got a lot of feedback on on Rachel's um, appearance, all of it positive, and I even got a, a feeling on Twitter that that um, you know there there might be some room for discussion about this issue. But you ex- you were at um, uh, the, the city council's consideration of a of a ballot item, uh, and there's been lots going on in Burlington around the Israeli Palestinian situation. Can you talk about the city council and what it was doing yeah sure and um i listened to this segment with rachel i'm glad to hear you got positive feedback about that that's nice to hear 
Um, yeah, so there's been a lot happening at Burlington City Council um, about Israel and not. Um, they just had their third anti-Israel agenda item um, in recent weeks and months. So the one that she was referring to that you guys were talking about was a special meeting that wasn't on the regular calendar. It was added for this, um, a January 22nd meeting where um, a bunch of anti-Israel activists had collected petitions to get an item on the town meeting day ballot um, that had some anti-Israel language. And in the end, Burlington City Council felt like it wasn't really the purview. I think there was also some concerns that the writing of it was was inflammatory and wasn't really something they wanted to put on a city document, um, especially the ballot, and that it just it wasn't really effective for, you know, for the, the well-being of the city. So it got shot down, but it was extremely controversial. It was a narrow margin um, and uh, was was a very lively meeting. It was pretty much the only thing on the calendar and before Right before the meeting, the city council um, downstairs had had a conversation about the public safety tax, too, but that was not um, the main event. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot. And it was actually pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's always interesting to see people come out for public comment. I, I love watching public comment for the city council. I do a lot of work with different councilors there. And I, I do think it's really endearing to see folks show up and, you know, illustrate their passion on different issues. And, you know, as a, as an analyst, it's important to know where those passions and motivations are coming from, even slash, especially if I, or my, you know, my principal doesn't agree. Um, I was watching as a matter of interest, I was watching the next regularly scheduled city council meeting on, um, not on Zoom, on the CCTV YouTube feed the next week. And the, one of the first comments was um, January 22nd brought me here. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then um, I'm watching public comment and a few comments in. I don't know if you heard about this, but these neo-Nazis started talking and spouting these like QAnon level um, anti-Jewish and um, anti-queer conspiracy theories. It was wild. So city council's had a lot of craziness lately. You know, uh, on that score, that the sort of Zoom bombing of of people's phone calls and and meetings, I I noticed this week that President Biden, uh, wherever he was going, Michigan, uh, Florida for fundraisers, he was being interrupted during his speeches frequently by uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrators. And I read an article in the New York Times about how the White House is trying to deal with this. And it's, you know, it's hard to deal with this stuff. I mean, when they're screaming genocide Joe at you when you're trying to give a speech at some uh, fundraiser or whatever, uh, how do do politicians deal with this? Because this is not going to go away. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to go away or not, to be honest. But I mean, it is a lot. I know after the January 22nd meeting, a number of city councilors got threats. I know someone who got a very threatening phone call. Um, it was very scary. One of the one of the freshmen from UVM who spoke at the city council meeting got doxxed very publicly. Um, and I, I really felt 
bad for these individuals because they're not the people making choices about the war. It's happening nine hours away by plane, and none of these people have a direct line into, you know, the Netanyahu coalition government or Hamas. You know, these aren't the decision makers. And I I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that, Kevin. How do we deal with it? I, 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 you know, as a a longtime political organizer, I certainly – can sympathize with wanting your message to be heard. Um, But some of these tactics just don't seem effective to me. Like I'm not following their theory of change. So I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot to process and it is becoming very disruptive. Yeah, no, it's, it's right. And, and if, but if you look through the history of political protest, they would say, this is the only thing that gets something done, you know, and, you look at all the great organizers and radicals over over history uh you know when they what what did uh mario savio say at the university of california back in the 60s you have to throw your body on the gears of capitalism to get it to pay attention um you know it's a tough balance you know i sympathize with biden sometimes when he's being interrupted and heckled on the other hand uh you know protest is the it's a very American thing, so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's very American, but it's also, I mean, actually, it's funny that we, we both said that so quickly, but I, I remember, was it the, the Green Vest or the Yellow Vest movement a few years ago in France that was everywhere, and then all of a sudden it evaporated? Um, and I do sort of wonder, you know, these protest movements sort of come and go, and um I just think there's lots of ways to make change, and some are more productive than others. Yeah. Can we stay in Burlington uh, for a minute and talk about the mayor's race? Uh, Give us an update. Joan Shannon, the Democrat versus Emma uh, Emma Mulvaney Stanek, the uh, progressive. What's going on? Yeah, well, um, I think it's even worth rewinding a tiny bit for those who haven't been who aren't like borderline obsessed with Burlington politics. So Joan actually won at a Democratic caucus a few months ago where she ran against city council president um, Karen Paul and um, a local organizer named C.D. Madison. And Joan pulled through on the first round by 11 votes at the caucus and the progressive side wasn't contested. So a lot of the show was really at the Burlington caucus. And so the nominee was chosen. I mean, the way I'm hearing it, I do think Joan will win handily. Um, I do hear, you know, something that's interesting is that there is miles and miles of roadway between these two candidates. We've got someone who's really pretty on the conservative end of the spectrum, particularly for Burlington and someone who's pretty on the progressive end of the spectrum, um, I think their, you know, their sort of style is actually kind of similar. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I, I, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, the Burlington Democratic Party had to run this big caucus, you know, to handle this. And they got 3000 people to participate, which is great. And um, one of the interesting facets of that to me is that the Burlington, not Burlington, all the political parties in Burlington are are handed the caucus system. It's not the party's fault at all. But when you compare, so we had 3,000 people participate in that caucus, whereas we had about 10,000 Burlington voters participate in the primary during 2022. So I'm sort of wondering what happened to those other 6,000 voters. And I think it might be time to evaluate the caucus system at one point. And so 
some point. I, I know I hear from a lot of voters feeling a little alienated, like there isn't a candidate for them. And I, I wonder if the caucus system is partly to blame for that, which is no fault of any of the parties or candidates. Right. Joanna, I wonder if we could stay in Burlington. I, I noted, I read uh, that that uh, the city cleared a, an encampment of folks experiencing homelessness um and I, I couldn't I couldn't help but wonder about the timing of that. Can you review it for us? Yeah, I'll tell you what I know. Um, so, yeah, the Burlington, the city of Burlington cleared an encampment that had building over time, had been building over time um, on Battery Street in the park. And as I understand it, it was pretty close to Homelessness Awareness Day. I think it might have been the day after Um, and yeah, I mean, I know the city had said that they had waited until the winter, um, you know, I don't know the exact terminology for it, but like the winter sheltering program was open and available, but I do also know that there were, they were at capacity and turning people away. So yeah, I, I found that very sad. I actually, listeners may remember when the um, Steers Lane encampment, which was is very close to where I live, was cleared out in around the same time of year in 2022. Um, and I know it was kind of a similarly abrupt experience. And um, honestly, like, I just found it very sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... I- you know, you can read any newspaper and or, or online site anywhere in the country, and these same issues are happening. And uh, I noticed that uh, we can maybe move to Montpelier right now and talk about uh, Paul Dragon, who is a, a, an advocate for those folks, uh, came to Montpelier and really really gave it to the legislature for it and to the governor for their, what he said was their failure to house uh, people. And um, I I don't have the VT digger story right in front of me. And I know John Walters uh, wrote about it as well. Uh, This, this general assistance uh, motel housing program, which the legislature keeps uh, ending. And then because it's so expensive, but then, uh, refunding, uh, Dragon basically said, you know, when are you people going to get your acts together? Uh, you know, you know, winter's coming and yet you continue to end this program. Uh, it's like you don't even understand that winter is coming. He really blistered them. What do you make of it? Yeah. 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 I, you know, I read a little of that. I didn't read his entire um, testimony, but I saw a bit of it and it was pretty interesting. I, one thing that I thought was also really interesting I saw in the recent coverage was Representative Teresa Wood saying, we're taking matters into her own hands. And I I thought, that's good. (laughs) I do think it's good for the legislature to take some ownership over this issue because the constant renewal reminds me a lot of the debt ceiling in Congress, that it just keeps like happening and happening and happening. And it's not a long-term solution. And honestly, the motels aren't a long-term solution. They were intended to be a temporary measure to happen, you know, to support people during the pandemic. And I, you know, I don't want anyone to be homeless. I wish I knew, I understood a little more 
how how come we have so many more homeless folks now than we did before that program started? I would be kind of interested. I wonder if that data would yield any insights. I'm sure other people who are really on top of this issue are looking at that. But yeah, I saw so I saw that they're extending it to June, and um, my first thought was, oh my gosh, are we going to have another veto session? So yeah, there's a lot happening with that. I was also really yeah. fascinated to see Charity Clark scoring people's motel deposits back. Yeah, so that was part of a settlement that, uh, yeah, Attorney General Charity Clark uh, put the finger on these hotel, motel owners who have been making bank for a long time uh, getting uh, monthly checks from the state. And, uh, yeah, there were, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but it was a fair amount of money returned to those people who had not received their deposits back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, it was good to see her taking action. I appreciated that. I do think the legislature needs to own this. Like, they can't really rely on the administration or continue to blame them because, the administration isn't changing, you know, let the governor is still the governor. He's been a Republican this whole time. I think for, for the legislature to want to see movement, they, they have to own it. And I hope they are doing that. Let me, may I, let me posit a theory here. And that is one of the, one of the political, it's cynical. Uh, I'll say that, but one of the reasons that, that this issue does not get solved, is because it's a expensive and b uh, it, it you don't get rewarded politically for solving this problem because people experiencing homelessness generally don't vote and therefore they don't have a lobbyist and so they're not knocking on your door saying solve this problem and if you do solve this problem what you're doing is raising taxes spending more money and solving a problem uh, for people who are uh, voiceless in the society. What do you make of that theory? Yeah, no, I think it's true. I mean, it's I mean, like they're they're the ultimate have-nots, right? So all the advocacy for them is going to be entirely altruistic, and you know, it, it is hard. <laughs> you know, to run on, on altruism. It's, it is hard to get stuff done that way unless you've got a, a, a patron on your side. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, and this is not going away. You're, you mentioned Teresa Wood, the representative from Waterbury. She's the chair of the House Human Services Committee. And I wasn't there, but I understand she just threw up her arms the other day and kind of slammed them on the table and said, and said, uh, kind of ran out of patience and said, okay, uh, the administration's not going to solve this, uh, and nobody else is going to solve it. So I'm going to solve it. And she's talking, she's talking to a lot of the nonprofit housing uh, people about creating 2,000 units of uh, temporary or or tiny house housing. And there's a lot going on in that area. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting. I, you know, I do remember last last year, the House already was actually pretty active on this issue. I I think the Senate is where, you know, they really have to move the needle. And I, I don't know what Teresa's plans are about working with both chambers, but sometimes I think there's a lot more animosity between the two chambers than there is between the parties. 
Well, and there's and there's um, maybe before we take our next break, we could comment on this. The Senate is a fascinating place on a human scale because in the last and I I I put this at the feet of Elaine Haney at Emerge Vermont. The Senate's changed. You know, the old guard, uh, the Dick Mazas from uh, Grand Isle County, um, you know, who who Dick Sears from Bennington. Those old bulls who ran the place for a long, long time have have come up uh, come up against a, an entirely new uh, generation of senators, mostly female. I'm thinking of Tanya Vahovsky and others, Ruth Hardy from Madison County, who are pushing them to take these issues on in a much more uh, progressive and uh, sort of next generation kind of way, and that creates some sort of that creates some uh, divisions within the Senate. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, definitely creates divisions. But something that I remember being in the state house early last session, and there was like Hello. this new energy, and people were excited. And then by the end of the session, people seemed really burned out. And I, I'm not sure I'm seeing that same energy. And you know, I have heard some of the older Senate senators feel like there's a bit of ageism, even. So yeah. I am curious about, you know, if that cohort will be effective. I certainly hope that they will be. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And, and as always, uh, it's, it's, it, it all lands at the feet of, in my view, two, two people, uh, Jane Kitchell from Caledonia County, the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, and Ann Cummings, uh, the, the Washington County chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, they're the ones with the power, and they control the money and the taxes, and the big decisions come down to them. Which, yeah, we'll see. It, it's 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 uh, in thirty seconds. Can you comment on it's it's Senator Cummings' bill that would uh, relieve towns hurt by flood from paying their property taxes? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, and uh, I mean, there I can't comment on in thirty seconds on all the you know tax stuff going on. There's like a lot of tax policy issues going on right now, but I think it's really interesting, and and it does it does feel compassionate. I I really want to dig a little more into it because there are so many tax things going on right now. Yeah, well, that bill uh, is on its way to the governor. That should be the first bill signed. I think he'll sign it and. We'll see where that goes. Okay, one more break. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back. Our guest is Joanna Grossman. She's from Burlington. We're talking about the week in review. We're talking politics. If you want to give us a call, you can two four four one seven seven seven. If we're missing anything, let us know. Uh, we'll go back to Montpelier uh, and talk about more news after the break. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. 
Learn more at rvgdigital.com. And we're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Our My guest is Joanna Grossman from Burlington. She's our VT Viewpoint political analyst. And Joanna, uh, oh, I, I forgot. We have a caller, uh, and he, it is Chris. He is on the line. Chris, welcome to the show. Yes. Let's wait for his cell phone to kick in. Sounds good. We are, we are, uh, we're awaiting your voice. Might have gone out of range. Yeah, Yeah, I can't hear it. Okay. There's a classic, classic Vermont situation, uh, a dropped cell phone call. Uh, Joanna, it seems to me that uh, I'm doing a lot of reading about people's property taxes going up. And boy, it's boring, but it's a lot of money. What's what's going on? It is wild. I mean, so, you know, in Burlington, um, we're pushing a, a new 3% property tax hike specifically for public safety, um, which I think will work and make sense. Um, we also are dealing with what could be a 14% tax hike um, because, on property tax because of school taxes, but not because we're adding anything for the school district. It's been this kind of perfect storm that's been really difficult for the, the city to manage. So because of state regulations, Burlington had to close its high school in 2020, and there was no assistance from the state on that. So in addition to having to pay for an alternate space, the Burlington High School, as many of you probably know, is in the old Macy's in the mall. So we have to pay rent on that. We have to pay to build a new high school. And um, then we're getting these additional costs due to something called the CLA, which is how the state um, sort of equalizes... Uh, school funding, it's like, this is very intricate, I don't want really to get too much into it, but basically there are, there are also caps and some districts have been, have perceived this as, oh, we can spend up to a certain amount, rural districts, without it costing us more, so people are spending up, and Burlington is having to end up paying for it. That's oversimplified, and I hope I don't offend anybody, um, but it's going to cost Burlington a lot, and we're not actually getting anything. We, In fact, we might still have to make some cuts. So, it's it's pretty dramatic here. Boy, it's yeah, it and it, it's and it's going on all over the state, and the legislature's going to have to deal with it. Okay, um, I I gotta talk about the Montpelier Post Office. It, it, yeah, no, people aren't people are not getting their mail. Uh, the post office was flooded downtown. And there is still, despite uh, the congressional delegation weighing in, uh, there there still doesn't seem to be light at the end of the tunnel on the Montpelier Post Office. God, let's talk about that for a second. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. And I actually, it's, it's, it, there's something just boggling, truly mind boggling about it. Like, I mean, it, you know, at first I understood, okay, the flooding situation. And then it turned out like the other cause was, one person retiring, which kind of was a reminder to me that like, wow, this is a very small state. And I mean, yeah, it's huge. And I I appreciated the secretary of state pointing out that it could affect the town meeting day 
ballot and the elections, if people don't get their ballots, I mean, that's major. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I can't believe that we have a state capital without a functioning post office. It, it's staggering. Yeah, we, we talked about this on a previous show, and it's also really pretty mind-boggling that that the president of the United States cannot remove the politically appointed uh uh, the, the the postmaster general, uh, because he is appointed by a board of governors, and uh, you know Joe Biden can't just say you're fired and hire a new a new person. Um, he has to, you know. Apparently, this takes months to get a new postmaster general. It seems crazy. It's wild. Like it's just sort of one of these examples of how you know, it, it, like structures that are set up to provide oversight and, you know, sort of a checks and balances situation can also really delay progress. And it's, it's really hard to find a balance there. Like, I mean, in some ways, like you want a situation where one leader, one elected leader can't just hire and fire willy nilly. But on the other hand, you really do want to empower them. Yeah. You know, it's true. I mean, well, it's, it's all over the state. Like, um, Oh, I remember that uh, mayors of Burlington, from Bernie Sanders to Peter Clavel, were always frustrated because they had to go through a police commission to hire a, a, a new police chief. Is that still the case? Do they still have that commission form of government? They still have the commission. And actually, there was some recent – there was um, a push to put – oh, man, I don't want to get this wrong. But there was a push to put a, like, a new oversight um, – structure on the town meeting day ballot and that got tabled. Um, I think Joan Shannon wanted it to go back to committee. They wanted to tune it a little bit. If that's my understanding, I really have to go back actually and make sure I got that right. But that's been a very controversial thing. But yeah, there is still a police commission. And like, I mean, police management in Burlington is just getting more complicated by the minute. Well, uh, apparently I am still getting my mail because it does come to my, my mailbox right outside my house, uh, delivered by the gentleman in the Honda Accord with the steering wheel on the wrong side of the of the car. And he leans over and stuffs my box. And I, I don't think it goes through the Montpelier post office in East Montpelier, five miles from the state capitol. But uh, it, it the, the whole thing baffles me. Okay, uh, let's get to uh, a, 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 what do you call it? Uh, you know, we use the word fight too often, but uh, but uh, State Auditor of Accounts Doug Hoffer and Attorney General uh, Charity Clark are in a little bit of a tiff. Why don't you talk about that for a second? I mean, I, this I really feel like this story has not been teased out by the media yet, and I do hope that they cover it and we we learn the whole story. I mean, what I know is that uh, the state auditor, Doug Hoffer, had asked for a legal opinion from Attorney General Charity Clark about the TIF um, district in Burlington under Mayor Murrow Weinberger. And... Charity Clark didn't give him the legal opinion. So the state auditor 
sued the attorney general, which I, uh, being from New York, I'm like, oh, sure, but that just doesn't happen that much here. So that was pretty interesting. And I do feel like, I do feel like we don't know the story and it does let one's imagination run wild. I mean, I, I would love to know why the legal opinion wasn't supplied. And I guess we'll find out at some point, hopefully, but it is, it is, you know, there have been concerns about that TIF district for a while. It was, um, you know, set up to create special monies, I think, for the Moran structure. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would like to get to the bottom of that. I do hope the media kind of pulls on that and finds out what happens. And the lawsuit may reveal yeah. something, too. Yeah. yeah, it's always fun when Democrats begin uh, beating up on each other. And, and we'll <laughs> see where that goes. Okay. Uh, we also talked about this on the show. Uh, there is a proposal which they're calling a wealth tax in Montpelier. And I had uh, a House Ways and Means Chair Emily Kornheiser on the show to talk about it. It's basically two bills. One, a surcharge on incomes, uh, people with incomes over $500,000, and a tax on unearned income for people over $10 million. Unearned income meaning uh, you know, uh, dividends from stocks and bonds, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, appreciating, uh, real estate portfolios. Um, this is Emily Kornheiser, uh, really, you know, changing the discussion in Montpelier about, about, uh, trying to level the playing field when it comes to wealth. And there's the same old story, you know, whenever these kinds of taxes are proposed, uh, oh, everyone's going to flee to Florida where there's no income tax, uh, and we're going to lose those tax-paying wealthy Vermonters who we need uh, because they they spend so much money and they pay so much in tax. So, what do you make of that as a as a policy proposal in Montpelier? I think it's pretty interesting. I'm always interested in what Emily Kornheiser brings. She has a ton of energy and she just seems to always be a hundred percent leaned in. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they were covering both sides. I don't, I don't feel like you hear a lot of proposals that encompass both an income tax and an assets, like a look at someone's total assets, the cap gains angle. And I, I do think that's, like, that's good. That's a start that they're sort of looking at both angles. Um, if it's really going to drive people out of Vermont, I find that hard to believe. But I'm definitely, you know, keeping an eye on it. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the, the research says. I honestly, I yeah. don't know. Like, I'm, I'm always intrigued. You know, I, I saw someone saying, oh, it's so easy to move your residence to Florida. And I thought, well... Really, <laughs> seems like a big lift. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're right. I agree with you about Kornheiser. She's a serious legislator. Uh, she's a serious policy person, and you have to take that stuff seriously. There's just no way the governor, if this were to pass, well, I don't think it can get past the Senate, but uh, there's no way the governor would sign such a bill. But right. she has changed the com- she has changed the conversation in Montpelier about uh, the haves and the have-nots for sure. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I do agree that, yeah, I wouldn't get through the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. I promised you we were going to talk about 
uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, but I, I gotta ask you, uh, and I, I went down the rabbit hole here on YouTube. I watched Mark Zuckerberg and the, and all those tech executives get grilled by United States senators, uh, and, uh about, uh, suicide ideation among young women on those platforms. Uh, what do you make of that? I have a very strong opinion about it, but I'm going to hold it until you go first. Huh. I mean, as a parent, I was a little, it's so frustrating. I mean, I definitely do think there just is not enough being done about this. I don't think it's in the tech, you know, just like we just talked about how like there's no financial interest for folks to advocate for the homelessness, for the the unhoused population. At the same time, like there's no financial incentive for Facebook to, you know, start protecting minors. And so I, I do think it's really frustrating. I mean, obviously there's also a major political gain for folks to be speaking into the record about this electives to be speaking into the record. Um, but yeah, it was hard to watch. I mean, for me, I always feel like Snapchat is the worst because it's designed to disappear. So what is that? I want to hear what you think, Kevin. I think that um, two things. Number one, this is an issue upon which uh, Ted Cruz and, you know, Dick Durbin, a liberal from Illinois, can agree so that's encouraging, but uh, they're not going to do anything because uh, the, those tech companies are, are playing the political game at a very high level. They've got an army of lobbyists, and uh, they're contributing to campaigns, and they're just not going to do anything about it. Uh, this Section uh, 329, I believe it is. Uh, and, you know, the issue is, are they a publisher uh, or you know, can they be sued uh, when when a when a young teenage girl uh, commits suicide because she's been on Instagram uh, being fed uh, al- the algorithm about how she should get plastic surgery because she's overweight? Um, you're right. The incentive does not exist for these these people, these companies, to do anything better. And I think the only the only uh, solution here. Is that the Justice Department's got to got to come in and break them up? Uh, the F the FTC, the Justice Department, they've got to sue them uh, to break them up, and then um, and you've got to remove the financial incentive for senators to take those campaign contributions. That's my view. Yeah, I mean that makes perfect sense to me. Actually, I mean right because you have to find levers. To me, like it, it all comes back to theory of change. Like you have to be able to do something. It can't just be a lot of shouting. Yeah. Okay, we've got a call. So always very dangerous on this show. Mike from Milton, you are on the line with Joanna Grossman and Kevin Ellis. Welcome. Yeah, good morning. Um, I don't know what they would say, but if we call Governor Scott and said, give us some money so we can hire some horseback riders and deliver the mail in Montpelier. I would think that might hit the news pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, that is a fabulous, fabulous suggestion. I mean, Uh, 
Why wouldn't that work? Okay. Thank you for the call. Okay. I, I think he, I think Mike from Milton just suggested a, a kind of Pony Express uh, a brigade in Montpelier to deliver the mail. Uh, yeah. Sounds to me like. Sounds to me like a viable suggestion, uh, Joanna. And there's precedent because didn't Montpelier use goats to trim the grass on the bike path for a while? Yes. Yes, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've got to move on. Uh, Bernie Sanders is in is uh, home. It's the weekend, so he's in White River Junction. Uh, and then in just a few minutes, he's going to be visiting with the Waterbury Ambulance Service folks. And I got to ask you, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen. Well, uh, first of all, there's a cover story in New York magazine uh, this week about Bernie and his very, his increasing pressure on the Biden White House about the Israel Israel Hamas is, issue. And. I've never seen a guy with more energy over the age of 80. Uh, the guy's everywhere, and it's pretty clear to me he's going to run for re-election, but uh, he has not announced yet. What do you make of Bernie Sanders these days? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, I don't, I'm not totally aligned with his opinion personally, but I'll tell you what I really, really respect about Bernie Sanders. He is not a lazy thinker, and he's not a lazy amplifier, for lack of a better term. Like, he is really holding the nuance of the conversation um, when it comes to Israel and American foreign policy in the Mideast. Like, he is not saying, you know, hashtag ceasefire now. Like, he's saying, okay, I want to hold military aid until X, Y, and Z happen. And I just feel like that, like, and he's not directing it at all the people of Israel. He's not directing it at all Jews. Of course, he is one, but still... And, you know, he is really being very specific about, you know, Netanyahu and military aid. And I think, like, holding that kind of nuance is the standard we need to see from our electives because that makes it about policy, not about hate. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, I certainly yeah. think he's running for re-election. That's just a gut gut take there. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Uh the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, uh, got prostate cancer, and he went to, uh, I believe, Walter Reed uh, Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, to uh, to get it taken care of. He did not tell his own staff. He did not tell the uh, chief of staff in the White House, and he did not tell the president of the United States, Joe Biden. Uh, he has now taken to the podium and apologized for this. Uh, what do you make of this? I, I, uh, hard time excusing this. I, I would think that the White House would be really, really mad. But clearly, Austin is a very private uh, individual, and uh, he just didn't think he wanted to share that kind of personal news. What do you make of it? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I've had clients before um, who, you know, had situations where they had like major family crises and were sort of gaming out. OK, well, when do I disclose this? Like, you know, and so I, I really empathize. Um, I mean, yeah, I really do think he should have told them. And I do think when you take a role like that, you're choosing to make your private life public to some degree. And I know that nobody wants to hear that. My candidates certainly never want to hear that. Um but, yeah, I mean, I also feel like 
I mean, my heart just breaks for him. Like, it, like it's not bad enough that he has cancer, you know, that he's having to take this flag. But unfortunately, I do think that's part of the package to disclose those kinds of things. He really is putting the administration in a tough spot. Yeah, he, he is. And you're right. Those private, I'll tell you, I had a, I had a, here's an old war story before we have to go. Uh, Peter Clavel, when he ran for governor against, I believe, Jim Douglas, uh, called me up and said, do I have to release my tax returns? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you do. And he said, and he said, uh, I really don't want to. <laughs> and, and I, and, and eventually he did, uh, and he lost badly as i recall uh and i saw him some months later he says i'm never going to forgive you for convincing me to release my financial information because now all my kids know about it and the whole community knows about it but yeah these these issues of privacy and uh disclosure are really really tough yeah i also really love it when we get blamed that's the best (laughs) oh people like you and me yeah yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. What are we missing in 30 seconds? There's got to be something. Maybe the Apple Vision Pro. You're going to run right out and buy one, I think, right? Not one. I'm going to get it in every color. $3,700. And according to the article uh, in the New York Times, you're going to have to buy several add-ons, which you're going to push the price to $4,600. And I am not going to put that thing on my face, I guarantee you. But there must be, I mean, Apple knows what they're doing. There's, there must I mean, be a use for this. Apple does have precedent for making things work that nobody else could before. Um, yeah. And I give you know, more power to them. But I also kind of feel like, I mean, I remember in like around 2012, Google came out with like Google glasses or Google goggles or something. Yeah. And that yeah. was a total yeah. flop. I don't know. Like, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I I don't really want to use it myself, but hey, maybe in ten years we'll be talking about this over Google goggles. I don't. I guess it doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean. Thanks, Joanna. We'll see you next week. See you, Kevin. Thank you. We'll be back right after this. 